Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to another Wednesday night, it's just after 8 o'clock, uh, you're listening to RadioLamont.com, this is Series 10, Episode 27 I think, of Midweek Motorsport uh, and I'm John Hindoff from uh, Hindoff Towers, uh, broadcasting to the world. Up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray, hello Tim. Hello John. And on a packed programme tonight we have what? We have all the usual features mm-hmm. and a brand new game show. And so much to pack in, we don't even have time for apologies for absence, but thank you for sending them in. Do we have time for me to apologise for my absence next week? Uh, Well, that might make things interesting. Yes, you may apologise for your absence next week. I won't be here next week, sorry. Excellent, thanks for that. Uh, We've already got on the line, joining us uh, from Supreme Headquarters, uh, the Endurance Division, that would be SHAD, not a shed, the shed. It is Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Hello, Graham. Good evening, everybody. And from a secret location somewhere near a Formula One factory somewhere, Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent. Hello, Nick. No, I have to retract my uh, apology for absence last week, and you're wrong, John. John, I am, I am where on the tour. Italy is where I am. You're on the tour. And I will be broadcasting for about 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock UK time. So go to rcracing.tv to watch all the live action from the Angaro ring. That's uh, that's A-R-S-E-Y racing. (laughs) RC racing. Uh, uh, We will hear more from those chaps in a moment. Uh, no, so no housekeeping, no apologies for absence. We can crack straight on with top story. Uh, well, there's surely there's only play one the jingle. Let's play the jingle, yeah. Record breaker. If you're the tallest, the smallest, if you beat them all. If you're the fattest, the thinnest, if you always win. If you're the fastest, the slowest, if you really go, then you're a record breaker. A record maker. You'd probably have thought that uh, in a technologically advanced sport like motor racing, can we give it to that? Whatever it was. I can't. Uh, there we go. In a in a technologically advanced, uh, fast-paced sport like motor racing, mm. that uh, records wouldn't uh, hang around for very long. But you'd be wrong. You mean sort of vinyl, vinyl seven and twelve inch things? Not at all. I mean the uh, the uh, sort of records that uh, Roy Castle and Norris McWhorter would have been interested in. 
They're a record breaker. Oh, dude, is that what you were playing and not the news jingle then? Because yes. we never heard it. Ah. Um, okay, Nick did, because right. he was singing along. No, he didn't hear it. You never win if you're the faddest. Yeah, I'm just going to fade him out, because if you've already played it once, um, then you we don't, don't need to hear Nick's version inferior of it. version, yeah. No, indeed. Uh, right, okay, so which records haven't been broken then? Go on then, Nick. I know one that has been broken. Right. Is this, this is an F1-based record. It's not, it's not a Northern European Formula Renault record, is it, this is This is all Formula One, yes. Yes, this is the record for the most consecutive Grand Prix where you've led. Right. And it was held by Jackie Stewart originally back in 1971 or 72, and it was beaten by Lewis 70. Hamilton this weekend. And how, how many consecutive Grand Prix did Sir Jackie Stewart lead? 18. Well, 18 or 17. 17, Lewis yes. Or 19, Lewis yeah. has 18 now. It's not the Marvelous. only record that fell. Oh, at this point now, my, my smugness disappears. Uh, it's 20 years since uh, a British driver has won two consecutive British Grand Prix. But how is long? Really? Is it, how long is it since he's won three? Then, hang on, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because the last person to win two consecutive British Grand Prix was David Coulthard. He yes. wasn't winning Grand Prix 20 years ago. He wasn't. 15 years ago. Right. Okay. It's uh, it's 15. We'll cut that bit out later. It's, it's 20 <laughs> years since. Uh, a British driver won three British Grand Prix. There you go. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, Nigel Man. It was. Mm. Uh, and finally, uh, the record uh, fell, and this is an even older record than uh, that held by Sir Jackie Stewart. This is a 78 then. Uh, this is the <laughs> record for the most consecutive races where a mm. team has both its cars on the podium. Cool. Yeah, that's back from the 1950s and Ferrari, isn't it? Is. It is. Ferrari have held that since 1953 and now it has gone. That's very impressive for Ferrari to have done that then because there would have been far fewer races in a season. So they must have dominated for a very, very long time. Oh, they did. For, was it Farino? In one of the years, he won all by one of the races. It was, yeah. uh, they were completely ha- head and shoulders about till Mercedes turned up and spoiled it for a couple of years. Didn't he, Yes, I was going to say, didn't he win for like two and a half seasons straight or something like that? Which was actually play. only seven races. <laughs> yes. But, but I, it... it all of these things are largely irrelevant, though, Nick. You've talked about this before, that because the amount of races that we have in in a season has changed, the amount of laps that are completed have changed, and there's just more opportunity for people to do things in a shorter amount of time. Well, the points is completely useless because they've not rounded up the points Correct. to count everyone else. So, so anyone says, I've got the most points, no, stop it. Um Wins and all the other sort of numeral records in careers, which are, are all out of the window because careers last longer due to safety and fitness. And, and there's you more, have races more races within a year. Yes, exactly. Uh, um, but actually, these two these two are actually quite good good records because, of course, they relate to streaks of reliability and streaks of finishing, which aren't particularly affected by longevity because you only have to like a year and a half or two years stretch to beat them rather than and so i think they're they're quite interesting these records last that long um hence the reason i'm I'm sure that there's a a number of statisticians having very excited moments when they were able to bring them up i've got to say i thought silverstone sit down collective thought looked absolutely brilliant at the weekend uh the decision to sell more general admission tickets paid off because the ga areas of the circuit was as full as i've seen them ever if I'm honest, and I thought it looked great. Clearly, the 
good weather helped. Um, but I thought it looked good. It was a great atmosphere, clearly. And it was a reasonable spectacle, rather ruined by Williams being completely useless when they led the race. And basically, after that, everything became predictable again and Did how it tedious it was. Well, even the well, rain couldn't no, save it. No, 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 no. At no point... Uh, was that race tedious? Because Sorry, did I miss? Did I doze off and miss something? Well, uh, no, because you had. I mean, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just add water as one of your favourite um, uh, cliches. But the but fact it didn't was, didn't do anything. There wasn't enough. Nobody fell off. Nobody made a massive. Nobody well, that five counted. cars fell off before the first lap had finished. Nobody, fe- nobody made the at the sharp end of the field made a massively wrong decision. It did. The only people who gained Reichen by did. the water, the only people who gained by the water was was Vettel. Yeah, Raikkonen, well, Fry won and lost because uh, Raikkonen made a, made a poor decision and dropped backwards. Uh, Vettel was on the the correct lap. No, that was it was it was a great it was a great race. I mean, Williams it wasn't got a great a, the, race. It was. No, I Williams, disagree. Completely. All right, okay. Well, we'll, we'll agree. Williams got a get out of jail free car because of the weather, because it meant regardless of what they'd done with Bottas or uh, Massa, they wouldn't have won anyway because their car is useless in the wet. So they could have done. And whatever they wanted, because it still would have rained, because time still happens, um, they can say we didn't lose anything. Unfortunately, right back again to uh, Austria last year, they once again, they're not the Williams of Frank, Frank and Patrick in their pomp. Was I the uh, only one who was shouting at the television, you've got to let Bottas go? Yes, they should have let Bottas... You know what they should have done? They should have let Bottas go and they should have got Massa to back the Mercedes up. What do you think would have happened if uh, they had let Bottas pass Massa? Because I think uh, but, that what would, I, Bottas's advantage was uh, all down to DRS. And as soon as he got past, Massa would have had the DRS and would have been uh, getting ready to pass Bottas. No, I don't think so. I think he was. if you look, looked at it, he was able to pull up to within uh, point He was much quicker behind. through the corners. Um, it wasn't just on DRS. Yeah, I think what, what would have happened, I'll tell you, this is what they let Bottas through. Bottas would have had enough of a lead to fend off a, the one lap undercut, I hate that word, that uh, then don't use Lewis it. had. And, well, it's like, all right, the, well, it, unfortunately, it is the worth what they did. Um, the one lap at earliest pit stop. And what would happen? is probably Lewis would have come out behind Bottas at the end of the first stop. We'd have all got, ooh, wow, what a picture. And then it would have rained and Bottas would have been stuffed because the car's awful in the wet compared to the Mercedes. It may actually have been the person who lost out. The person who probably lost out of uh, Williams' decision was Rosberg because Rosberg was very quick in those laps prior to uh, uh, the, the uh, switch to intermediates because his car was set differently um, and the settings which have worked so well when it was gripping were working really badly for Lewis. He, he got horrible understeer in the car and he made a very lucky stroke uh, timely decision to go in the pits and it worked out really well for him which I suppose is like one all in life but things even themselves out after yeah, a terrible decision no, in the pits exactly. he's now had a good one and, and you kind of think fair enough. I just thought but, that Williams might have if they had got Bottas down the road a bit then it might have changed the decisions made I by Mercedes. It wouldn't have changed the weather, and that was their under. No, but it might have changed the decisions um, by Mercedes. They wouldn't have been trying to um, fr- fake them out by get putting people on the pit lane illegally for a start. Um, and they would have had to do something different because... Um, they they wouldn't have been able to guarantee the weather well, was coming. Well, the other thing to remember is, John, is that on the harder tyre, they were way quicker than the rest of the field. Yes, that is true. So they were just waiting. For, they, they only had 
probably four tenths to half a second on the softer tyre, which in, which in modern F1, certainly up against a car with the same engine as you, is not good enough. Because what, What's the matter with Williams, though? Why, why do they not want it? You can't mean to tell me that after that brilliant start by both of their drivers, although Bottas clearly has a Mercedes contract in his back pocket, the way he didn't chop the nose off, uh, off Hamilton's car when he was ahead of him in the in the complex uh, on the first lap. Um, why didn't they, you can't say that fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh, whatever it was, was a decent return on what they had at the start of that race? No, that was and, and no, they third and fourth, and fourth fifth. would... Fourth and fifth. Third and fourth, perhaps, they could have got through to... I mean, in fact, I think probably if, it, if the race had run dry, uh, they would have got second and fourth. So I don't think that... I think Massa was, was comfortably happy in the dry. Um, and in fact, Massa put in a pretty, did a pretty good race, actually. He was, he, mm. was, he was very good for his... You know, he's, he's a very cheap driver for the quality and, and points he can score for you. For someone um, who has he's, such a dismal record at Silverstone, he had an excellent weekend... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think you know he he's obviously the least popular man in the Sam Collins book of racing drivers, but Sam knows nothing about people and any about machines, so that's uh, a good enough reason. But I think Bottas, I think it was it's very disappointing because I mean you are of the same generation as I am, John, and you know Williams were the ultimate hard nosed racers. Alan Jones, you know, it was basically you know you, you it, they didn't care about who the people were as long as they were winning, and you know, and the and the more um, bullish you were, the better. But uh, that has disappeared. Yeah, I was I was very very di- I thought. Given that they'd got the advantage early on, they might have done something. Did you watch on Sky? No, watch it on the Ah, video. because they did a, Sky did a very good interview with Rob Smedley, uh, who is now effectively running the pit wall at Williams. Oh, that was Masters. interesting because the BBC had Paddy Law. Mm. And they had a long chat with uh, Rob Smedley about, you know, you know, we've blown it and this sort of stuff. And he sounded like a politician. It was like, you know, it was like the, a rerun of the election as he, you know, oh, it wouldn't have done this. We were playing our strategy and this sort of stuff. And the thing you don't try and pull the, don't try and kid a kidder. You know, it was. It looked uh, great. It was, Everybody it was had a great time. Uh, we had, you know, a homegrown win to celebrate. I just, at the beginning of the race, I had such, I think it's because, I'll tell you why I'm so disappointed. I think it's because I had such high hopes at the beginning of the race that we were going to actually see something different and have to see the Mercedes-Benz work hard uh, to make the positions. And Williams just didn't take their advantage. They seemed, I, I thought it was very interesting that they seemed shocked that they were in the lead. Then they couldn't decide whether to race or not to race. I completely agreed with the decision to get, to work together and pull away. But when it was so clear that in those first few laps that Bottas was quicker, they should have released him. And the potential then was to have the faster car ahead and pull Massa along with him to get away from the Mercedes-Benz. This is the problem, you see, in this modern egalitarian world of, of equal number one drivers. And this is why you actually, on the whole, heresy though it is, it actually works better to have a number one and a number two. Because what you could have said is number two driver, whoever you may be, but it doesn't matter which one it is. What you now do is you drop back half a second, you back the Mercedes up, and you let number one driver disappear. Mm-hmm. Because we know we've got a, we've got a vulnerability. But I don't, I don't think they could. I, I don't think they could oh, have held the Mercedes. Oh, back. they could because they, as you said, they had no issue on the because it's a slippy car. Hence the reason it's all from the wet. Yeah, and it's point. got the Mercedes engine. They could. The only place the Mercedes going to get them. Um, unless they were asleep, was down on the DRS areas on the straight. And they weren't, they weren't under any pressure there. You could easily have backed them up in a number. A good driver could back up at least half a second a lap. 
the cars that are following. And don't forget also, the Mercedes didn't want to follow that much because the dirty air ruins their tyres anyway. So yes, and the, the, because they're running so much more downforce, same exactly. same thing. So uh, my feeling is that that's what I would if I had the ability to do that because I've, I've told my drivers the number one number two that's what i do and you, what you do is you maximize your chance because you by the time the first pit stops came your lead driver is perhaps six seven seconds up but the hey, road good news for another british brand mclaren have turned the corner and alonso mm. scores points that's true and uh i must admit i was very impressed to see if you hit one hard enough it turns itself off that was a bit bizarre wasn't it it's, i think you know i think that car is a, is a moving loose connection isn't it really <laughs> It's it's a bad very it's very a bad dry joint. Very interesting uh, interview with Ron Dennis um, after the <laughs> what, race. Where had they go, Eddie wow. Jordan? Uh, no, that was before the race. The one after the race, um, where uh, he almost criticised Honda. Really? But not was in a but Boulier was in a funny mood at the weekend, wasn't he? I mean, they had another very not McLaren weekend. We're going to talk about Audi being not very Audi with Graham uh, at Le Mans uh, later on. But McLaren had another not very McLaren weekend. Put the wrong tyres on the wrong car. Oh, they just it, it's it's one of those things that you know disarray breeds disarray. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you know, it's like, John, you sport Sunderland. You've got four <laughs> players in defence who theoretically are actually really good, but they turn into the um, the Chuckle Brothers the about three times a season, yeah, you know, absolutely and, and there's right. no reason for it. it it's, it's a kind it's of a everyone point, well mentally made. loses their entire pit and these ridiculous mistakes turn up. And that, But I do like the fact now that, everyone, that even the FIA is letting them off. It's like... <laughs> You, you, you know what? We'll just give you a warning because normally that'd be a five-place penalty in a huge. No, forget it. it it's we, it's we, like we, clubbing it's a really, baby seal while it's asleep. It's like, There's no so, point. Yeah, rather than starting 18th, you want to start 20th. Do you know what? It's really not that important. Don't worry about it. No one's going. Now the other teams are going to go. Oh no, you've got to give them a penalty. They go. Oh, don't worry. I think everyone's had enough of penalties for McLaren. Surely. They've had, they've had more penalties than England versus Germany. They, um, what did uh, Susie Wolfe text to her husband? Uh, you didn't uh, fool us. Na, 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 na. Yes. Yeah, what are you doing? And I think you're saying, yeah, the, you're, you're eating alone tonight, wasn't it? Uh, and that was yeah. for them trying to uh, trying to psych out the... Uh, I don't know if they were. They went out. I, think, I think they were at that point thinking about um, whether it was a good idea to go for a very quick two-stop. Uh, strategy and pull Rosberg in and and split him onto a, t- a two stop. My guess is what happened there was that the uh, the Rosberg pit wall thought it was a good idea and they got slapped by the by the manager when they saw it because they don't like going off strategy with each other at that point because they've got enough political issues in the team as it is. Mm. You, you might be right. You might be I right. I probably am, but what? I could be wrong. What else were the talking points at the weekend? Oh yeah, Frankie Dettori doing the. Uh... Doing the interviews for people um, outside the UK. Frankie Dettori is a uh, I think horse a lot racing. of people know who Frankie Dettori is. You don't have to be. Yeah, we race in, in Italy as well. I can almost and guarantee you. He speaks you Italian. That... <laughs> he's, he's he's on, Aust- has raced in uh, Australia and the US. Yeah. <sighs> he's a really record breaker. Though, really, though. In fairness, unlike Gerhard Berger, he didn't say the S word four times. But don't. I do think it was a bit of an odd choice that in the UK, um, the sports personality, or the personality rather, they chose to represent Great Britain in in the, the driver interviews was a flat race jockey. 
Um, yeah, but the, the Australia had Benedict Cumberbatch. He's not even Australian. Yeah, but he's better known than Frankie Dettori. Is he? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's an oh, interesting point. Oh, obtuse, Tim. Of I course think. he is. What about Arnold Schwarzenegger? Better he's known than what? both of them, I would think. Absolutely. You're right. If Arnold Schwarzenegger was at uh, Australia. It was somebody, it was Benedict did that Malaysia or something, didn't he? I, th- um, I, think, um, course, I think both Schwarzenegger and Dettori asked very sensible questions. And both showed that they actually did have an interest and understanding in Formula One. I must admit, speaking as someone who used to be responsible for the post-race press conference, I personally think this is a much better idea. <laughs> well, speak, I'm, speaking as somebody who is currently responsible for an FIA World Championship post-race press conference, I think it's a great idea as well, because it means I don't have to run from the booth all the way to the press room uh, as the moment that the podium presentation is over. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's I we I think one yeah we 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 criticise uh, what FIA and the F1 do, and I think personally that was a re- it's a really good idea, and like anything, the variety is a spice of life. Like you know the, the host and have I got news for you? Some of them are good and some of them are bad, you know. But it's uh, it's a great thing, and it's quite fun. What find out who it's going to be? Graham Goodwin, Frankie Dettori for podium ceremonies. Uh, well, I think he's got a good script writer. Um, but, but, uh, look, I mean, they're trying to give it a little bit of sprinkle of pixie dust, aren't they? And um, no, it's the honest answer. No, absolutely hell no. Would you rather um, have had I, Sir Jackie Stewart up there? No. <laughs> no. So no, I really wouldn't. There we go. Graham, who would you want to have up there? I don't think there's any shortage of people at Silverstone uh, who are perfectly capable of asking three racing drivers... Um, Two questions each. Interesting questions. Yes. Um, And I don't think you need to go down the celebrity route at all, I'm afraid. And that's exactly what it is here. I agree. They're looking looking for ways to get a different audience. And I understand that. And there's there's worse reasons to do it. Uh, As for the good questions, they've got a good script writer. Simple as that. I do think, I'll tell you what I do think is a good idea. And I, and I, I, I really do think this is a good idea. And I'm with Nick on this. I think doing effectively the press conference or at least part of the press conference on the podium where the crowd can see yeah, I agree. who've paid yeah. their money. I completely agree with that. I was a big fan of what Sky have been doing over the last three years and I thought this year was the best one so far that on Thursday night they get together with the teams and at Silverstone and they have a live show from the grid that they put out on the PA and the big screen and that's about giving something back to the people who are there early camping or turning up on a Thursday when there's nothing else uh, happening and on a Thursday night it becomes part of the scene. I think that's great and the more you can do for the people, the marshals and the spectators who are supporting the event, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, putting it out in the in the public eye, if you will, I just think it's an odd choice. And, I, and, and I'm with Graham on this, and I, I, I don't know why Formula One feels the need to go down the celebrity route. We'll be getting Geordie Kids and Chris Evans <laughs> and sorry, all of sorry, these sorry. people, oh, all, the, all the next generation of Top Gear uh, presenters will be popping up next. We don't need that. As you say, um, there are plenty of people at the track already who are perfectly capable of, of asking those questions. But hey ho, that's just my. I opinion. think. Can you, you, can you please be, not use those words, both John, both ever again on the yeah, show? Sorry, ever. Sorry. The words Jody and Kid. Sorry. Please never again. Okay, sorry. Uh, right, let's let's move on. Um, did we get a Porsche Cup race this week, Ed? Because they were. On, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? A couple of other bits of Formula One to tidy up. Okay. Do you remember a few years ago? 
um, when Paul DeResta was at Force India. Yes. And they had a really good car and kept yeah. making up completely ridiculous pit stop strategies that cost them podium finishes week after week. And not using yes. the tyre allocation yes. when they could do. Nick remembers yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They seem to have solved that problem, don't they? Yeah. They mm. do. They've got a new well, car, though, and it was a much better car, clearly. Yeah, I think it's um, it's starting from an advantage because it's got a Mercedes engine at the back of it. So what they had been doing prior to this is being a bit rubbish. Uh, and now they're the third best Mercedes team and on a par with the second best, with the fourth best Mercedes team who managed to lose both their cars at the first corner. Yes, that was careless of them. That's past Maldonado, wasn't it? Actually, it wasn't his fault, in fairness. That's not fair. The, uh, the, the still, um, they still make some odd choices, though. Um, and I still, there's still a story to come out of that Paul DeResta era. We've been waiting for Paul to write his book. Uh, it's still time. Uh, right, are the legal proceedings still going on? Ah, uh, no, I think they've been. No, with uh, Mr. Hamilton, that's all been sorted. That was all it? sorted. He found his mobile phone, and everything's fine. Excellent. The uh... I'll play this jingle then. Uh-huh. Oh, oh! Lotesías en español. Ole. For midweek motorsport. Still like the original better. (laughs) Bono estente. So, news in Spanish tonight with Graham Goodwin and uh, Nick Damon. What do we have, uh, Tim? What's the headline? Investigación a Mercedes por Tapas el Coq de Rosberg. Be very, very careful here, Nick. No. It's, 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 you know, where were they? The Goodwin, stop giggling. Rackley. I'm not, it's no, no, near... no, I know the answer. It's very obvious. Well, no, I, I, I'm saying I'm, I'm a local, so I know exactly the problem. Toaster, Brackley, even if you go far out to Milton Keynes, there's not a decent tapas bar uh, at all. And Nico Rosberg needs his portion of tapas cock at least, you know, uh, once, once a week and they couldn't find it because of lack of tapas restaurants in the environs of Silverstone so what we're saying is there were there was no small pieces of chicken dishes Correct. available so he had to bring his, are, we, are we suggesting then that he had to bring his own is that the story well he had to bring his, his own cockerel well I, th- I thought we might have got a bit of a crossover here with the um, the small pieces of chicken and someone who co- possibly could have been at Silverstone and could have asked a decent question it could have been uh, Jean-Marc Goujon couldn't it oh very good <laughs> moving on come on next line Mercedes está declarando ante los comisarios del Gran Premio de Gran Bretaña por cubrir el coque de Nico Rosberg cuando volvía a las boxes de Silverstone después de quedarse parado en pista durante los libres one. Rosberg sacó su coque fuera de la pista con problemas hidrólicos. En las primeras etapas de la sesión de apertura del viernes yes. por la mañana. Yes, well, well there we that's are. That's obvious, now, Nick, isn't it? It is, and I, and I think anyone who knows the local area knows the problem with it. If you, if you want to have chicken round here, the, you've only got one choice. It's Nando's. Yeah. And he would say the hydraulica, he feels there's too much water in their chicken in Nando's. Obviously, yeah. he's got a peri-peri sauce, but too much water. And, and uh, the perdido, it had lost its flavour. I heard perdido Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the other problem, of course, is, is, is the bottomless drink you get at Nando's. Because yeah. it means, obviously, you constantly want to go to the toilet. And not everybody wants to take the Johnny Herbert route of just going. Um, so it, what happened is it has meant that, that uh, Rosberg was having bladder issues in the carb due to the bottomless drinks at Nando's because he couldn't get a decent uh, chicken. And also, the chicken that he brought himself, or the chickens 
that came in the crate, they mm-hmm. put into a hospitality suite, a box, and, oh, yes. and, and they escaped. In Libra 1, yes, one of them escaped. One yes, of them escaped. one of them escaped in a sort of chicken run style of way and uh, encouraged the others uh, to be less than, uh, less than happy about their lot. Clearly. Ah, so we've got disgruntled chickens and we've got uh, an issue with the waterworks, Nico Rosberg. Yeah, moving on. Next. Hello, El Delegado Tecnico del FIA, Joe Bauer, has Shukurido ah. que al usa un cubierta. El equipo ha violado el artículo 24.7 de Regulamente Deportivo de la Formula 1 que establece que ninguna parte de un cock deba estar oculta. Mm-hmm. A menos que sea sola por uh, razones mecánicas como la protección contra el fuego. Well, and and the clear the, the clear thing there is that veal would have been allowed in in the box at a veal crate, well, but they've had problems in the past with certain teams, which will remain nameless, sacrificing chickens over fires by the mechanics to the devil. It was an occult... It was an occult... No, no you're wrong, no? John. You're wrong. Did I miss, no, the, no. Did I miss I, the accent? I very, very clearly heard here what this is actually all about is... Uh, you heard that the lardo, they've, they've obviously taken some of the eggs from the chickens, they've been frying those eggs, right. and then they've been racing those eggs against the chickens... So what came first? Was it the chicken or was it the egg? <laughs> Very good. No, I'm afraid, again, you're both being far too chicken-based. What's happened is the subject's changed. Right. Um, and actually, it's found out. we found out the reason, actually, um, why Nico Rosberg is going so well, why Mercedes are going so well. Mm-hmm. It's down to, a again, an, an occult event in Bletchley. Did you hear the Bletchley? I did hear in, Bletchley. very close to Milton Keynes, yeah. And what they've given themselves is protection from El Fuego. The El Fuego, the Renault Fuego, protection oh, from Renault. Yes. So they have occultly made sure that the Mercedes will be the best engine by sacrificing chickens in Bletchley. And that's broken the code. And again, <laughs> that, the code, code is doubly clever because, of course, the Fuego was awful and the Renault engine is is awful. Yes, exactly. very good. Very good. Is there any more? Please, God, no. Como el cock no has sufrido ningún... Tipo de dano por accidente, este en mi opinión, es una violación del artículo y refiero este asunto a los comisarios para su consideración. Yes, and, and you see, not only have we our favourite, the Renault Fuego, but there's a Fiat Tipo involved in this, which has been hidden in an articulated lorry just in case the Fuego trick doesn't work. And it's been brought all the way from Paris, where it had been held hostage, uh, to by the uh, by the French engine manufacturer, uh, held uh, against Ferrari in the past. What they haven't got, of course, is uh, any kind of hostage against Mercedes-Benz because of this occult ceremony that went on. Yep. Yeah. And and that basically is is as literal a translation you yes. can get. Yeah. Is that it then, Tim? That's all from news in Spanish. Our our, uh, our solicitors are very pleased about that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. <laughs> Graham Goodwin from DailySportsGuard.com and uh, Nick Damon, our Formula One and MotoGP motorcycle and RC racing battery correspondent, uh, is with us on Series 10, Episode 27. I'm John Hindoff. Up in London is Tim Greer. What have you got next for us, Tim? Well, Formula One wasn't the only thing going on at Silverstone. Right. There were some air displays from uh, various... 
bits of the Navy and Air Force. Yes. There was a typhoon. There was. That came a bit too late to make any, any uh, influence on the result. Brunch. Uh, GP3. Uh, yes. So uh, there were two races. Whole position for Marvin Kirchhofer. Kirchhofer, yes. Uh, and he went on to win. Yeah. And then in their second race with reverse grid, it was uh, Chacon who uh, got his first ever GP2 win. Hey, uh, that was impressive because he started GP3. GP3. <laughs> that really confused me. That was, how's that happened? In GP2, it was. Uh, Everybody's favourite, uh, not a Sauber driver, Sergei Sorokin, who took pole position mm-hmm. uh, and then went on to win the first race. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, in the reverse grid race, uh, uh, Rio Harianto. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, first weekend that Van Dorm's had a bit of, bit of an off one. A, a less than stellar weekend. Did yeah. Yeah. Get, I, I don't think points. he scored any points at all. And now his no. lead in the championship is down to 56 points. Yes. No, I think... He, and his team on this feature. and and his team obviously following the uh, the lead of Red Bull have said if Audi don't come and buy them they're going to leave. It's as simple as that. Um, did we have a Porsche Cup race at the weekend? Well, yes. All, yes. Of, all of these support races were threatened by the fact that the teams uh, were all in Calais. Uh, the <laughs> The Porsche Cup race less threatened. In fact, GP2 slightly less threatened because most of those teams are based in the UK. But the Porsche Cup race less threatened due to the fact that there were no fewer than seven uh, guest drivers from the UK uh, who could have had a nice little race all on their own. On had, their own. Had yeah. the foreigners uh, not made it across the we channel. We did have some very good pictures on, I think it was Thursday night and Friday morning of Porsche Cup teams just turning up then mm. and setting up. So it, it it was a bit tight for some of them. Uh, they're obviously um, very tired because uh, the during the race, the uh, regular season uh, Porsche Cup uh, competitors didn't appear to be doing any racing. They just drove around on their own, uh, while the seven guest drivers uh, had a proper race. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, however, there was a first-time winner in the Porsche Super Cup. Was there? Sorry, Porsche Mobileint Super Cup. Right. Whom? That was Philip Eng, who, despite okay. having done a season yeah. and a half of this championship, has uh, yet to uh, get a win. Not uh, anymore. Oh. Sorry, say again, Nick. Not anymore. He's won one. He has no longer has to wait for his first win. No, Correct. indeed. Uh, no longer will we be able to crack the joke that he's just one vowel away from a winning racing driver. Uh, right, so moving on. Shall we do... Can we do... Nick's got to go shortly, so can we start thinking about the game show, please, Tim? Well, we don't need Nick for that. We could oh, be do doing we? that <gasps> with... Uh, cause it's Nick, a brand Nick, new game show. Nick could play this in a future week. Ah, is ah, it, is it a working on your own fantastic. kind of thing? Okay. This is one that will go on and on. Oh, really? Excellent. Right. This is okay. exactly what no, the listener in wants. Which case, I don't want to be the first person, so that's fine. <laughs> then we should put you on first, just because you've said that. <laughs> I do wonder... Do we need Nick for anything else, then, or can we let him go? Do we need Nick for anything else? There was no uh, uh, MotoGP, was there? But the British um, Superbike at the weekend. British Superbikes, uh, that was very dull. Uh, Shane Byrne won both races. Uh, Stefan uh, Bradle can't take part in the uh, MotoGP, but then he wasn't really taking part this year anyway. No, they indeed. had some problems at Knock Hill with the track surface. 
Uh, yes, because they haven't seen heat like that ever. Uh, so that was uh, that caused some delays on Saturday morning, uh, and then led some delays to qualifying as well. Um, so nothing for Tim is what you uh, nothing yeah, for Nick is nothing, nothing for me. Nothing for yeah. Nick really. <laughs> right, uh, you better right, go I, if you're going to get to Italy in I time. Get, I, I need to get myself some pasta and pizza because we're on air at ten o'clock European time, nine o'clock local tomorrow. RC Racing TV. Is that the Euro or what? One eighth. Off-road, it's the actually we start with the premier event, a bit like Daytona. All right, okay, very good. It's one of my faves. Uh, shame I'll be missing that. Uh, thanks very much, Nick. Nick Dermott. Thanks, thanks. Cheers. Bye. Uh, now he was on this one here, so I can knock that one in the head, uh, which means we will will continue this uh, episode 27 of series 10 of Midweek Motorsport with uh, with. Uh, Graham Goodwin on the line and still to come we have Marshall Pruitt joining us in the second hour. Show me a bit of sports car news then Tim. Well we've already done some with the uh, Porsche Mobilite Super Cup because although it's a one make series they are sports cars those Porsche yes, GT3 that's the two, Cup cars. Sports and GT cars you're absolutely right that is true. Uh, and Hardly uh, endurance though is it? Well they go for five minutes longer than the uh, National Carrera Cup races. Hardly endurance, though, is it, Tim? Not really, but sports car racing and endurance racing, although they often overlap, don't have to. You can have endurance races that don't involve sports cars. You took part in one of those at the weekend, John. And you can have sports car races. How is a caterham? Okay, there were some sports car races in it. You weren't driving one, though, were you? Well, I was driving a sporty car. Purpose-built racing car as well. I always think it's a shame, Graham, that there's no endurance racing in single-seaters. Yeah, you'd, be a you'd laugh, need to have it? driver changes for that, though. Yeah, uh, there's no driver changes in uh, in single-seaters. That would be uh, pointless. Not even worth attempting. Yeah, which uh, which which of the uh, the vast array of Formula One village idiots was it that suggested that a Formula One car could actually win Le Mans fairly recently? Yeah, well, let's. I'm not even going to go there because. <laughs> We'll only get criticised saying, listen, I th- I, whatever I thought, I, honestly, I didn't think it was a great race, but I thought it looked like a fabulous event at the weekend. And good luck to Silverstone. If that is what the, the Formula One event is going to look like in the future, the tickets, the tickets for the WEC are, went on sale, um, I think, at the weekend. Um, there's a £5 on, increase. On Friday, if you were at Silverstone, if you weren't at Silverstone, you had to wait until Monday to buy yes. them. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and there's a £5 increase, £5 increase over uh, this year, but I think that is still less than £50 for a weekend pass for WEC. And yes, a lot of people... Is it for, uh, it's gone up to 45 or it was no, 35? No, it was 35 and it's, gone up, and it's f- gone up to 40. Well, okay, well that is a bargain. Um, the, As we mentioned on last week's show... Yeah, I, I sorry, I misheard that. I thought it had gone up from forty to forty-five. The um, a lot of people seeing how well the WEC cars compared in terms of visual stimulation and excitement with Formula One, um, and I understand what people are saying by that. The lap times, for what they're worth, and they're not really worth very much because it's once again we're comparing different horses from different courses. Three seconds or thereabouts is is quite interesting on a car that's. Probably getting on for twice the weight, one and a half times the weight, and less than half the power. Um, 
But of course, it has superior aerodynamics, the, the WEC car, than a Formula One car. But very, very interesting, and I thought the event as a whole was very good indeed. Um, book, book your tickets for the WEC next year. Um, the breaking news coming out of the world's biggest motor race, Le Mans, um, which Paul Trustwell has been following up on for Daily Sports Car. Com is the big sports car story this week ahead of uh, quite a busy sports car weekend, which we'll preview with Graham Goodwin in a moment. Audi, we mentioned McLaren not being very McLaren, Graham. Audi clearly not being very Audi at Le Mans. Not only did A, they not win, but B, they've put themselves into a horrible corner for the rest of the season with the car that is favourite for the championship. They did, and still not absolutely clear exactly what went wrong here, but it's very clear that uh, the issue affects the number seven car. It's very clear that the uh, powers that be have had a massive organisational sense of humour failure with whatever happened here, because the reality is that um, having used a single engine, actually, I apologise, they've used two engines during the season thus far, and still have some hours left on those engines, I'm sure, uh, that they effectively have used all bar their final engine because there was something going on with engine, with extra electronic engine seals on the number seven car. Now, Audi's position is that there was errors made. Uh, however, the fines have been levied. Mm. 50,000 50, euros, John. And yes, it is. It's more than just a slap wrist, this. No, no, um, it is. Well, I think we have to explain to listeners who perhaps aren't quite as au fait with the FIA technical roadbook for LMP1 as uh, the as some of our listeners, is that in an effort to cook down costs and also to put that big E in efficiency, it's not just about the technology of the cars in terms of using 25-30% less fuel than they were a couple of years ago, but also they are being asked to use fewer tyres and fewer engines and gearboxes as well, Graham. Much like Formula 1 have got the same sort of idea, it's about trying to get some real-world relevance into the engineering design of these machines. Now, with endurance cars, that is almost inbuilt in the first place. But it's five engines for LMP1, for the manufacturers. Um, five physical engine blocks. There's not a token system, um, and uh, as there is in, um, uh, in Formula 1. It's pretty simple. It's five engines. And that is controlled, Graham, as I understand it, by what is effectively a new version a 21st century version of the uh, twisted metal seal that used to be on parts of an engine when i first started watching motor racing this is an electronic an electronic tag if you will on various parts of the engines uh, correct and because of uh, i think what we think we're being told is they tried to move the seals mm. the seals failed they couldn't be read either by audi or indeed by the scrutineers and you know that's for that's forbidden it's as simple as that and no matter what excuse whether or not it was human error whether or not there was some kind of an attempt to do something um it's a massive mistake and what it basically leaves them with john is for the remain, remaining uh, 
part of the WEC, they've got one fresh engine and whatever hours they've got left on the other engines that have been used thus far. So the, in effect, the, they've in effect they've eaten up two engines, but but only used one. Yes, uh, and this is the disconnect that I kind of don't understand. Um, Audi are adamant that what they have used so far is, and, and I, if I've got this wrong, please correct me, Graham. That uh, through the first part of the season, they used the same engine and let's in the call, race. Let, let, in the races only, John. Yes. In the races. In yeah. the races only, yes. Um, in the races only, they used the same engine. Let's call it engine A. Yeah. Engine one, actually. Let's call it engine one. Um, at Silverstone and Spa. Um, it's Le Mans. They put in engine number two for free practice and qualifying, which remained in the car for all of qualifying and warm-up and the race, effectively their third engine. But for some reason, which is not really been explained they felt it necessary to move the seals on the engine and in doing so have rendered the seals not being able to be read by the electronic machinery that needs to have it read and so this has put them outside of the scope of the rules and they've been fined for this and they've been effectively charged an extra engine so that one engine has been said to be well you can't prove you didn't change it Nobody's casting aspersions here, but the regulators are saying, the FI and the SEO are saying, you can't prove you didn't change it, so Correct. we're going to charge you as if you had. So that means engines three, uh, engines uh, two and three were used at Le Mans, and four, so they've charged them two extra engines. Okay. Yeah, basically, although, uh, to clarify, John, I think the answer is they have used two up until... Before Le Mans. The, before Le Mans. Okay, but, sorry, but that's my bad. They've eaten up one of those, um, but have used a third engine throughout, they tell us, throughout the Le Mans 24 hours. 36 hours week. of running. Okay. The, the, so the, uh, what they've effectively got left now is one brand new engine. Correct. What I don't understand, Graham, they are quite at liberty to cobble together or to reuse engines that they've already used. If they've been charged two engines while they've been at Le Mans, what happens if you say engine one was at Silverstone, engine two was at Spa, engine three started at Le Mans, engine four finished at Le Mans, if that's what the regulators are saying, how do you say we only used one, then there's a spare one floating around that they could use, or is that gone now? That's I been think, lost. I think the answer is that's gone. They've right. lost, physically lost one engine. Got you. What they've got are hours that was the thing. That's what, that was the thing that confused me. I think what they've been penalised for here is is certainly one engine, and, and debatably two. We'll have to uh, get a bit more clarification, I think, from Audi. Uh, but the reality, I think, is if they've used that first, uh, that uh, third engine, if you like, through the whole of the Le Mans 24 hours week, it's unlikely to be of much use for the rest of the Fair season. Point. Um, there's a lot of running still to come. Remember, five, six-hour races and for the 20 hours or so of free practice plus qualifying in each of those five races to come. So there's a lot of running still to come. So I think what we might be seeing, perhaps, is uh, some rather more conservative running in free practice, perhaps. But presumably, though, but, but free practice engines are free, are they? So if, if you used, you could use a brand new engine in every session coming up to the race, provided you put one of your five engines back in for the race. 
Uh, no, I think it's it's five engines for the season, John. Right, so it's five engines. So in competition, in competition, so, uh, in competition includes free practice. Right, okay, I I understand that now. So potentially what they're left with is one brand new engine and two part used engines at the very best, plus a one that's frankly fairly well worn after doing a lot of work at Le Mans, which might not have very much left. I suppose you could do a couple of free practice sessions with that and see if it breaks. Um, Audi engines tend not to. So there's an opportunity there, but whatever whatever it happens, they're down one engine, at least one engine. Yes. And the, and going back to what I said at the beginning, this is the championship leading car. Uh, yeah. And the other thing to say is, of course, if they do get to the stage where they have to uh, opt for a sixth engine, um, let's call it a sixth, although physically it would be the fifth. Yeah. Um, they get a three minute stop go penalty. Now that, of course, is more than a lap at any of the uh, circuits we, we remain to go to for the rest of the WEC. However, whilst that backs them into a corner, clearly, it's not the end of the world. Um, although it's quite tight at the top of the championship, of course, with, uh, with Porsche taking points. And also, somebody has to explain to me how the points were given out at Le Mans, because I thought cars that weren't full championship didn't get points. And... Uh, they do. It was changed for this year, and they do. Right. Okay. So, uh, so yes, it's real. It's really topsy turvy stuff now uh, for the WEC, and that's that's probably one to save for for the week before we go to the Nurburgring. Okay. But, uh, I'll, I'll have to keep it in my head for when we're talking about that. <laughs> the the issue that that Audi have got is they have to manage their resources now with the seven car. Um, and be very careful how they use their engines. The good news for them is that the points gap between first and second uh, in terms of winning and coming second, if they can continue a winning run, then they could possibly bank up some points and then not have to worry about taking a three-minute penalty. Clearly, no other Audi is going to beat a car that's winning the championship, even if it has to stop um, for a very long time to have things checked on it. Um, So it would only be two Porsches, potentially, that's ahead of it, unless Toyota can find some speed. Three minutes is going to be a lap at most of the places, lap and a half. But with the pace that we've seen from Audi, whilst that might not be completely able to be overcome... It's not as if they say, we're going to park you for five laps. No, I mean, oddly enough, the best news Audi had at Le Mans was that the 19 car won. Yes. Because that meant that the the damage to championship points position was pretty, you know, comprehensively restricted. uh, To Because what we've got at the moment is the number seven crew on 80 points apiece. uh, Nick Tandy's second uh, second, uh, overall with, uh, with 60. And then... Uh, Earl Bamber with 58. Nick Tandy, of course, got point, uh, a couple of points for his performance in the standings with the KCMG car because it's pure points overall for the Drivers' Championship. Then it's Hulkenberg uh, with with Bamber. Then it is the Mark Lieb, Neil Yanni, uh, uh, Romain Dumas. Um, and what about the Manufacturers' Championship? Well, Manufacturers, uh, which, of course, as we all know, is the one that, uh, that the, they actually do want to want. That's the one that uh, Porsche now lead that. Yes courtesy of a whopping 86, well, in fact, 87 points at the moment because they get a point for Polar Course as well and 54 for Audi. So 16 points of difference. Now, that's doable, um, you know, depending on, on, on the way that, that uh, pace actually works for the remainder of the season. Of course, you know, both teams have got two pretty good bullets in the gun. Um, I, if we've got to get, John, the kind of racing that we've seen so far with or without this uh, this engine problem for Audi, uh, engine issue for Audi rather, mm-hmm. um, then you know, really 
it really could be a grandstand stuff all the way through the next five races, right to the end of the season. Uh, and as I said, very un-Audi-like, whichever way you want to look at it, moving seals around, um, not being able to prove whether they did or didn't change an engine. And again, nobody... At- Nobody at the moment, not and particularly not us, but neither, we should point out, the sanctioning body is alleging anything underhand has happened. But it's a question, as Eve would say, it's a question of process, Graham. And it can't yeah. be proved one way or the other, and the regulations are there. Audi, for their part, yeah. in fairness, have taken it on the chin and have said Chris Renke, who's um, effectively the, the technical chief uh, of the the project the project manager if you will has taken it on the chin and said it's a mistake it's a mistake we shouldn't have done it we feel bad about it but ultimately we've just got to put our hands up and and throw ourselves on the mercy of of the administrators uh, yeah and uh, you know uh, as always in these instances the question was asked of Audi and Chris Renker called uh, Paul back and you know pretty open answers were given as best we possibly can get at the moment I think there'll be a few more questions to ask when we get to the Nürburgring and obviously before that we've got a two-day test uh, at the end of this month the Nürburgring for the WEC runners uh, so you know plenty of uh, plenty of us I think will be heading that way after the spa 24 hours unfortunately mm. we're not going to be allowed in on the Monday but uh, so we'll have to go and uh, kick our heels about for a day no no mate don't worry in. Check the uh, website. There's tourist laps on on the, on the Monday. Oh, are there? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's wait and see how that one goes. Uh, don't think there's any shortage of takers whatsoever for that <laughs> one. But, uh, but uh, no, let's wait and see how that one kind of uh, com- comes together. Uh, but meantime, John, we've got an awful lot of racing still to come. We've got uh, British GT at Spa this weekend, the LMS at uh, the Red Bull Ring this weekend. That's uh, where I'm heading um, for the weekend's racing. Not my, not, my, not my first time on that circuit, but my first time there when it's been open. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the ELMS then. We'll bring Marshall in after nine o'clock to talk about uh, Matters and Murrington. And there's some crossover with Matters and Murrington and Matters uh, European. And it's prototype based again um, with Marshall, uh, again, having got the top story last week about the uh, the P2 regulations and uh, more to talk about there, of course. Um, this weekend... Uh, as you say, ELMS uh, heading to the Red Bull Ring um, in Austria, a fantastic, uh, a fantastic venue for motor racing. Uh, it'll be Johnny and Bruce covering it uh, on the ELMS app, web coverage uh, for TV, and also here on Radio Le Mans. Dot com, of course, and a chance for everybody really to shake off those post Le Mans blues lack of racing etc and and get back to work including people like harry tinknell who are going back into p2 um there's one or two other people coming back pretty stout looking entry list to be honest Grim. yeah we've got an additional p2 car coming in it's the exterior by tds car now in the hands of algar pro racing pretty um light blue car we saw at the start of the season then bit of a sense of humor failure about regulation changes for the team saw them duck out for the first couple of races this season, but they're back in. Um, so uh, new uh, Ligier there. We've got a bit of a reshuffle too in LMP3, which uh, rather oddly, I think, is going to see Team LNT um, with two cars, but not the two cars they would normally have because the car that did the Watkins Glen test stays now over in the United States of America. It's been bought 
by somebody in the United States uh, that car. And for this race, the Team LNT will be using the University of Bolton car, who unfortunately haven't managed to find a solution to drive a squad for Red Bull Ring, but that means that the Team LNT uh, team will be taking over that car. Um, it's looking like another really good season of proper endurance sports car racing in the European Le Mans series. The, the, whatever the pixie dust they've sprinkled here seems to have kind of stuck for the time being. It's a great grid, some really good racing. But uh, my guess, after the display we saw from it has to be said, whilst uh, the, one of them didn't have an Aston Martin smashing into the side of it, both Oracle Zero Fives was pretty, um, well, tough stuff for the rest of the, the grid there. If that Orica Zero Five of Thierry by TDS uh, racing can re- replicate anything like the form we saw for the KCMG car at Le Mans, then that's a pretty tough nut to crack. Mm. Um, but plenty are going to be trying and, and you've uh, spoken about one john already with joe Sport. yeah uh, uh, 12 cars uh for p2 uh, championship leaders Tyria by tds uh with i think it's just a two-point lead isn't it over greaves motorsport um we've got four lmp3 cars uh out this weekend and uh, supporting the event uh formula Renault 3.5 which means that if you do go to uh the uh, former osterreich ring it's free to get in yeah there's no charge whatsoever for the weekend uh, because formula Renault 3.5 throws open the doors um 29 cars in total um the Another chance to see the BMW of Mark VDS. They've had a couple of fourth place finishes so far. It's it's tantalising. I would be happy with another half a dozen cars, if I'm honest. Um, it's Saturday and race Sunday. Um, the four hours of the Red Bull Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the circuit. I hope we, it gets the race it deserves, if I'm honest. Well, I hope so. It's certainly. I'm looking forward to, to going racing there for the first time. It looks fantastic uh, with TV and, uh, and the pictures we see. Everybody that goes there seems to enjoy the experience. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, DSC photographer Peter May won't miss the plane this year Ooh. and therefore have to drive halfway across Austria to actually get there. Uh, but uh, it, I, we're looking forward to it. it it's you know, it feels like the second half of the season starts here, doesn't it? It's been a bit of a, a layoff for anything other than GT racing since the Le Mans 24 hours, and uh, we're about to get busy again. Yes, and I can't, uh, I can't wait. Uh, actually, um, good luck to everybody down there. Uh, only one Aston Martin Vantage, Casper Elgard, Simon Moller, with uh, Christian Paulson, uh, but a decent GTC entry. Uh, for that as well which I do think that's a class we need to keep our eyes on and well we, as I say we can only hope for a good race it's all live here on uh, RadioLamont.com in sound and vision as well as on the ELMS uh, site uh, we'll stay with Graham Goodwin uh, for the time being and we'll add Marshall Pruitt in just a wee while as well coming up to 9 o'clock you're listening to Midweek Motorsport it's season 10 episode 27 here on RadioLamont.com Midweek Motorsport there's still another hour of this nonsense I do like that <laughs> still to come. Uh, jingle. Uh, thank you very much for your tweets, for your contributions to the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective on the 
uh, on the website forum. Very feisty you lot tonight. Welcome to all regulars and one or two new ones. Uh, new people in there as well. It's at Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. We are reading them, but we've got a lot to get through tonight. And in the second hour, we'll have Marshall Pruitt uh, talking about the American scene. Big news coming out of America this week as well. Rather cut him off in his prime last week, but he's on top of the stories and after the Audi exclusive broken on DSC earlier this week we'll stay with Graham Goodwin for more sports car news including British GTs at Spa as we look forward to their big away day that's all coming next Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com so staying with Graham Goodwin as we enter the second hour of the programme indeed yes now you've been promising a new game show yes is this the time? This is the time. And I think right. Graham Goodwin's the right person to debut our new game show. He's a pathfinder in so many ways, isn't he? A Nissan pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> what cannon fodder. <laughs> Goodwin, over the top, son. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Should I just run towards those machine guns, wave my flag? Yes, that's right. And don't forget to blow your whistle before you go over. Don't want well, to uh, start. Otherwise, is it? Yes, no. it wouldn't be cricket otherwise. Tell us about the new game. <laughs> Tell us about the new game, Shorty. Well, obviously it has theme music. Yes. Does that give us a clue it. as to what it is? If you recognise the music, it'll give you a massive clue as to what it is. All right, come on, let's have a go. Are you playing that off a cassette tape? No. Sounds a bit wobbly. In fact, I actually know someone who plays a saxophone, and he, uh, you know him as well. Has Kenny G come round for coffee? Alright, I have no clue. Excellent. Now, this is the theme music for The Price is Right. It's not. It is. is. Yeah. On both the UK and US versions. Right, can we lose that now on board with us? Of course we can. It's just going on a bit now. Oh, I do like a bit of applause for The Price is Right. Graham Goodwin, come on down. (laughs) Have we not done The Price is Right before? I don't believe so. Oh, we've done... I think we have. Uh, This is the one, if you go over the top, you bust out, isn't it? No. Okay. That was something else. All right, okay. So, Graham Goodwin, uh, from the south of England, uh, is our contestant tonight. Uh, And our deviously uh, cryptic quiz master, Tim Greer, will now tell us the rules of the price... Hang on. We haven't changed the title of it to be more motorsporty. It is more motorsporty. The Tom Price is right. Oh, very good. That's very, very, very heading in the right direction, yes. Is it? Is this about Welsh racing drivers? It's about racing drivers called Price. Is it? Mm. Oh. Uh, so, the uh, most important rule is this is against the clock. <laughs> oh. So, I have plenty of questions in front of me, but when the time runs out, that's when we stop. Right, and and what are the questions? What are what the questions can be anything to do with racing drivers named Price? All of the answers are the names of racing drivers. Right. Okay. So, uh, are you ready, Graham? 
How long's no. on the clock? But that's not going to make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put a minute on the clock. Right, I'll put a minute on the clock here. Have you got a countdown? Uh, there's no countdown music or ticking or anything like that, but I have a clock counting down in front of me. Okay. And the time will start when I ask the first question. Well, very good. Are we ready? Yes. Okay. Question one. I won Le Mans with Sauber in 1989. Uh, uh, Price Cop. Very good. Incorrect. Oh. I'm the 2009 New Zealand Supercar champion. Price. I need his first name. Bill. Incorrect. I was born in Machinleth in Wales. Tom Price. Incorrect. Oh. I was Rob Barth's co-driver in the Blancpain series in 2012 and 2013. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. I won my class at the Daytona 24 Hours with Farmbacker Racing. Are they all called Price? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I finished second in both JWRC and WRC3 at Rally Poland at the weekend. And your time is up. I have no idea. Right, go through them again. Graham Goodwin scores um, zero. Zero. Right, go through them the, again. The farm back one was Sean Price. It was Sean Price, yes. You got there in the end. But uh, you were out of time. And I did say the most important oh. rule was this is against the clock. So... That uh, is Graham Goodwin scoring zero on the prices right. Right, can we but go through But let's give them? him a big round of applause, shall we? Yeah, let's no, do let's that. not. Yay! <laughs> can we go through the questions and get the answers? So that no, because I might recycle those questions later on in the series. No, who, you can't who, do that. Who no, won you... Le Mans in nineteen eighty nine? It was called Price. David Price. David Price was the team manager at Sauber yes. at the time. Oh for God's I, sake! I did guess that one. That's the only one I think I got. Um, if I'm honest, you've got to go through them, Tim, because the listener will have put them on the on their website by now. Uh, it's not yes, fair on anybody else. Can I just uh, say at this point? I I absolutely hate, hate loathe and despise Tim. I really do. <laughs> Every time he does this to me. Every time. No, no, I'm going to have a... Right, let, let's go back okay. to the start. Uh, Rob Barth's co-driver in the Blanc Pan series 2012 and 2013 was... Leon. Leon Price. Leon Price. Yeah. Very good. Uh, <laughs> the 2009 New Zealand Supercart champion was Shane Price. Shane. I, I thought it was Sean. No, Sean Price was the one who won his class at the Daytona 24 Hours with Farmbacker. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, born in Mackinleth in Wales is Ozian Price. And what does he drive? Uh, he was also the answer to uh, the... I finished second in both JWRC and WRC3 ah, at Rally driver. Poland at the weekend. He's a rally driver. Okay, I wouldn't have got that one. Ozian. Ozian, yeah. Okay, right. Um, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think it was. Very, very tricky, that one. And now, of course, all of our guests are going to be uh, swatting up on... Yeah, prices. Yes, yeah, that's really fair. <laughs> the questions are not all that easy. Oh, good. 
Oh, good. Mm. Uh, let's talk about. Let's move from the. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about British GT. Um, two things to, to say about British GT. One, they're at Spa at the weekend, and two, the people behind British GT being drafted in to help the uh, Macau World Championship GT3 event. Let's talk about about that first, Graham, because that's yeah. slightly older news. Came just after the show last week. Uh, the Macau. Is it called G, G, GT3 World Cup? It's the GT World Cup. GT and this World is, Cup. This is uh, after the um, Astro SRO gave up the, in effect, license, if you like, to run the GT World Championship, uh, laterally, of course, run for GT3 machinery, but still under the GT1 banner. Uh, the FIA decided to offer the opportunity to run a one-off GT World Cup, and that went to the organisers of Macau, where we, of course, have a variety of races, including a famously um, car-damaging GT race <laughs> around the streets of Macau. And the World Touring Car Race as well. And indeed. Um, you know, anybody who does like scraps of carbon fibre, just, just just to wander around the streets of Macau any time in the next couple of days after that race, you'll find plenty. Um, and it would seem that um, even though they didn't get the rights to do it, uh, that SRO is still going to be involved. And I'm guessing that's because they were rather struggling to put a grid together yes. um, for that. And uh, so uh, Stefan Rattel and his merry men uh, will be involved in drawing together that grid, which I strongly suspect will uh, have a fair number of contenders from the Plompan Endurance yes. GT Series. The objective of well, the FIA and the AAMC, which is the Automobile General Association of Macau in China, yeah. is three pro-car entries as a minimum per manufacturer. Now, that's actually quite a undertaking one would presume there's a decent prize pot for this that tends to be in macau money isn't really an issue there um it is benji uh benjamin uh franachovici uh the series manager of british gt and jackie groom the man who's well. worth a hell of a lot in scrabble i should tell yeah you. indeed uh, and jackie groom the redoubtable jackie groom who is the uh, sporting director uh who is going to be the interface between the fi and the teams um there's a good chance this might work. My worry is what you said before, just how damaging it is. Yep. Um, now, you know, it's at a time of year, 19th to 22nd of November, that not so very long ago would have been thought of as being the end of the season. But for GT3 cars, Graham, that's not the case anymore now. No, I mean, we're still waiting to find out. I mean, we've heard precious little about the Golf 12 hours other than a provisional date to the 11th of December. We've got a change to the Istanbul 12 hours. Thank God. For, so that's no longer going to be in the insane time uh, of the middle of August and has now gone back to the winter. Um, it's yet yeah, there's no downtime at all for the GT3 teams. If you're going to put together a program, uh, then frankly, I guess Macau is at the right end of the planet for you um, to find somewhere to, uh, you know, uh, f- find somewhere with a, a bunch of willing guys to span your cars and deliver another skip full of parts for it um, after Macau. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yet another piece in an increasingly complex jigsaw for teams and organisations that make their living with GT racing. The good news um, is it's on the way to Bathurst. Yes. Uh, the, I mean, that is the good news. And yeah. you know, it, it would make sense to sort of 
Mm, I mean, bouncing back to do Dubai and then going to Australia, I suppose it's doable. Um, it, it makes people have to start to think a little bit more about their uh, about their logistics. Um, but I think it's doable. Um, it's almost like island hopping, isn't it? You know, you got to, you're going from there to potentially to Sepang. Uh, yes. And then on to Bathurst, and uh, we'll talk a little bit. I'm sure about the the news breaking. Well, that's on the other thing we need to talk about after Bathurst, about which Spar, uh, yeah. was, I think, the shock of the morning. And congratulations to Speed Cafe down in Australia for getting the the scoop on that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this again. Well, here's one for, uh, for a debate: Who's going to win this battle? You've got uh, two looming powerhouses of uh, spheres of influence to do with the way the sport is going to go in Asia Pacific. Is it going to be GT World Cup, um, GT Asia, uh, SRO, Yeehaw events, etc.? Or is it the ACO with the Asian Le Mans series? Um, because it does seem to be a little bit of never the twain is in play here. Uh, so, yes, we know that um, you know, LMP3 is beginning to lift off with that if plans come to fruition. But, um, but there's an awful lot of GT cars out there, and there seems to be some active uh, discouragements for taking those um, ACO rules racing at the moment. Uh, let's talk about uh, Benji's dear job, the British GT Spa this weekend, their uh, yearly away day, and you know, frankly, a, a cracking event. A lot of people. Uh, look forward to it i noticed uh, jade edwards just tweeting at the weekend that she realized she wasn't going to be there and how she was uh, so annoyed at not being there she hasn't been able to complete the season so far though she's still working i think very very hard indeed to uh, to get back on on the grid it's a race that it works very well for the British GT runners. It's a decent-sized grid to take there. It's about the right size of grid to take there. And in the past, it's normally been pretty good racing. It has. And, you know, I've been to a number of the British GT races down through the years at uh, Spa-Francorchamps, but we've had a couple of all-time classics there, uh, famously back in the Mosler days with uh, two guest drivers for the uh, Spirit Racing car and for the Roll Centre car. We had uh, Jan Barbosa and Tommy Erdos um, going head-to-head in a fantastic race there some years back. We even had one year where the British GT grid shared the grid with the FI Sports Car Championship. We had the astonishing sight of VW Golf um, GTI Turbo sharing a grid with an Audi R8 and Tom Christensen um, uh, back in 2003. But uh, GT3 and GT4 is the order of the day uh, this year. And I think we're at a pretty critical part of the season here because uh, we're beginning to get clear blue water at the top of the points table with the Alex Sims Marco Attard car, defending champions, of course, in that car. And a very good result for them in the Tarar race could well make that a very tough nut to crack. Um, it's I think it's been a close season so far, but not necessarily for the overall wins in the last couple of races. So let's wait and see. Um, I think we've got um, plenty of mileage yet to go in in British GT. Not a classic season yet, but Spa could get this thing alight. 
Um, and we wish everybody, of course, the best of luck for that. Um, quite a lot of Australian news coming through over the, the last week or so. There's an awful lot of changes going on down under. This sounds like we need to get Creelsey on. He's been busy with the Shannon Nationals, of course, over the weekend. More great streaming uh, from that. But F3, Formula Ford losing national status. Carrera Cup possibly losing its national status as well from their organising body. But a couple of big stories that surround one of our favourite places, Graham, and that's Bathurst. There's a good news story in that the six-hour race, the inaugural six-hour race for touring cars um, that is set for March, Easter, uh, around Easter in 2016, has already got a TV deal and a sponsor, James O'Brien of Yeehaw Events, doing a cracking job to get that set up and running. And it will be streamed in its entirety. Now, we're not sure how that's going to work at the moment. Um, I think probably a good idea to get James on the show in the coming weeks when everything has been uh, sorted out. That's a race that I want to go and compete in, if I'm honest. Um, and one of the reasons I'm working towards my international licence is, is to do just that uh, next year. Um, but the other one is... Uh, to do with the the Bathurst 12 hours and a story that's been bubbling for quite some time uh, that the uh, and, and as you said kudos to the guys at speedcafe.com and it is speedcafe.com go and have a look at it if you haven't seen this um, excellent website excellent website very very good website indeed um, there was a, an unsuccessful attempt to buy the Aussie GT championship um, from Tony Quinn last year. Now, that yep. runs completely separately to the 12 hours, but clearly the growth of endurance racing and sports car racing is something that... Um, uh, the, it's uh, Warburton, isn't it? What's his first name? Is it Tony as well? James Warburton. James mm-hmm. Warburton, sorry. Um, who's the CEO of V8 Supercars. has been keeping an eye on. And he's basically saying um, that he's been talking about the dates and... They want to take over promotion of the event. Now, this comes hot on the the heels, Graham, of SRO being interested, uh, of the big conflict last year between uh, Aussie V8s and the date of their big televised test day. So what... What is going on? I mean, James, Water, J- James O'Brien has been conspicuous by his absence on this, and we no one's got a quote from him. But what what is it that you you've heard here? Well, not not much other than I mean, time zones tend to work against us. But uh, the very fact that James has been as quiet as he's been would tend to um, add an air of authenticity about this, wouldn't it? I mean, I'll say just just this before we get into it: if they mess with it and mess that up, I am going to declare war on Australia. <laughs> Personally, I'm coming. I'm coming for you all. Um, but but you know it it it's a great event. It's it is one of those standalone events that is. It's not great better than some of its parts because the parts are so very good indeed. GT3 racing, very good. Bathurst, very good. Australian racing culture, very good. Um, the whole thing just ties together beautifully. They've got a great TV deal. They've got a great product. And I just hope they don't mess it up here. Uh, I, I am worried, and I'm worried for one reason and one reason only, because we did have an area of boneheadedness around what happened last year that was a hole that for various reasons principally to do with the competing interests of the two tv channels involved um they got themselves into a right mess and basically gave everybody a stick to beat them with and if if it does go that way then they need to appreciate 
not just what they've currently got, which is pretty good, but the potential moving forward. Yes. Uh, and again, just to put some meat on the bones here, the date clash last year, remember, came after V8 Supercar has pitched for the broadcast rights to the GT event to put it on Fox. And of course, it was on Channel 7. Um, V8 Supercars, uh, James Warburton said that they wanted to combine the V8 test in the 12-hour into a single event. James O'Brien said that had never been put forward and put on the table. Uh, there was a big backlash against V8 Supercars. Nissan yep. weren't happy. They eventually won the 12 hours, of course. Um, for me, though, the the interesting thing is, of course, that V8 Supercars is talking about opening its rule book to some kind of GT-type body and, and not just V8 engines, things like the GTR. The 2017 Generation 2 rules are possibly going to make... Aussie V8s look very different, Graham. And, you know, moving away from the traditional four-dod sedans, this could be a stepping stone to an awful lot of international interest for Aussie V8s and for SRO, who wanted as part of an Asia-Pacific. But as we've said before on this programme, who wouldn't want that event? It's a classic event already. Nobody's had to invest in it other than the guys who've done the hard work, which, by the way, step forward, James O'Brien and Bathurst Council. Therefore, it's, you know, it is a jewel in the crown that people clearly want as part of their series. Uh, well, yeah, and uh, I guess from the point of view of the business side of things, then obviously they, they've got, uh, you know, they've got an asset there that, that clearly has some value. So let's wait and see what the reality is here. Um, but what do we want? We want strong events around the world. Mm. Um, you know, you you sort of got the feeling, get the feeling, don't you, when you talk to people outside of Australia and when you talk to people in Australia, that this is the kind of event they've been waiting for. The V8 Supercar Series is not in its pomp at the moment. It is no. not at a strong point no. in its life cycle. And this just hit that sweet spot. And, you know, whatever happens here, don't break it. Don't break it. Don't mess with that uh, that basic formula. There's something there which, you know, you do it properly and an awful lot of people will thank you for it. It will be, uh, you know, it's it's an appreciating asset, I think, is what it comes down to here. Yeah, agreed. And what might that mean for the future of V8 supercars? Well, it might mean absolutely nothing whatsoever. It might mean um, that they're trying to get a bit more of a handle on what will be, whatever happens, a very different-looking series for them in the future. Uh, what we do know is that Network 7 have got a television deal for February the 5th to 7th next year, 2016. That's locked in. Liquid Molly are back on board. We expect fewer of the touring cars. That's why the six-hour race uh, has been added to the Easter calendar and a potential field of 30-plus GT3 cars, um, possibly as many as, I think, around about 50 cars. I think the majority of those, Graham, are likely to be GT3 cars. And yep. a spectacle, you know, like no other in the GT3 world, on a circuit like no other in the GT3 world. Well, you know, I'm going to be, um, but next time I see you, I'm going to bend your arm up your back and see whether or not I can't come again, because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's... <sighs> It is one of those races, and I know an awful lot of people listen to Midweek Motorsport. We know this from when you get Richard on from Travel Destinations. You know they will pick they will pick up those events. Nurburgring 24 Hours has been one. Dubai's been another. Daytona's been another. They pick up those those 
events to go and experience it and i know there's been interest here of course there's the there's time factor there's the money factor for that matter mm. as well but certainly the number of people that i've spoken to that uh, listen to what we've done last year and what the guys have done in the years before that and have watched the tv coverage um you just know that race is just been an instant hit on the bucket list no and great yeah want to see more of it uh, before anybody asks we don't know is the answer uh, we are in touch I'll try, as I said we'll try and get James O'Brien on in the next couple of weeks we'll get crazy on about the other breaking national stories uh, from the CAMS revision of um, uh, of the Australian National Motorsport uh, I mean just the whole outlook is changing by the look of it uh, and we'll try and get James on for a, a proper quote in the next couple of weeks you're listening to Midweek Motorsports John Hindorf and Graham Goodwin up in London is Tim Gray our executive producer we'll bring in another one of our regular guests now he's on the west coast of California and say hello to Marshall Prout of Racer.com evening Marshall or good afternoon where you are Good day, Hindy. Hey, man, how are you doing? Good, brother. How about you? Good, mate. Uh, Graham's still on the line here, and uh, we'll we'll keep you two together because the uh, the thorny subject of uh, of LMP2 is uh, is back up and running, and uh, your excellent article last week, MP, uh, put a little bit of meat on the bones of what we're going to see on the American. Uh, side of things and we're waiting to hear the full story about who the manufacturers are we're pretty certain we know who they're going to be and we've known that for quite some time um, but I, I want to uh, I want to pick your bones about LMP3 in the pick your brains rather about uh, LMP3 in the state some interesting comments uh, earlier this week from Tony Harvey about LMP3 hello Marshall Oh, sorry about that, Heidi. Didn't that's, I thought we were fading to Tony Ave? No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, sorry. No, no. Uh, he's edit. Uh, he's been edit he, this he's, bad man. No, no, no. It's all right, man. That's the that's the whole that's the whole fun of doing this. Um, that's the. Uh, He's he's been fairly uh, he's been f- fairly outspoken about uh, his love for LMP3 this week, uh, uh, Marshall, and you've been speaking to him. I think, look, there's every right to be enthusiastic about it. Uh, if there's one category as we look to the future of uh, sports cars, prototypes in North America, uh, and one where there's a little bit more of a privateer or grassroots-minded category, P3 certainly has that potential. Uh, I think as we wrote a little while ago, there is a debate. Uh, there has been a debate going on with an IMSA whether should we go with one category, I'm sorry, one manufacturer in P3, go with multiple. Uh, Scott Atherton uh, and others were certainly leaning towards, um, I shouldn't say leaning towards. I think there was a division based on some conversations with them recently, but it seemed like there was one half kind of leaning in the multiple chassis uh, option, others in the single. I think the takeaway, though, and mind you, this is assumption at this point or or trying to base some of what we've heard on where it might go, good to hear that uh, the ACO is embracing multiple manufacturers in its uh, P3 future. Uh, IMSA did suggest that they would follow the ACO's lead on that provided they go to P3. I can't really think of any other direction they'd go, right, Heidi? But um, that, to me, is maybe the most interesting takeaway. So it's, you know, it's great to see Tony. It's great to see the other brands 
genuinely fired up about P3. If I'm looking specifically at North America, uh, again, the real question is, provided M6 accepts this, which we believe they will, what are they going to do? And if they are going to do, as suggested, follow the ACO, uh, then the ACO seems to have uh, essentially, uh, in yet another prototype category, uh, written what North America will be doing. The... Uh, announcement earlier this week of five chassis for LMP3 has come as a bit of a shock uh, to the, I would think, to the world because we, Graham, know uh, there's been a lot of interest in this. Janetta, of course, are the only one, as it stands right now, who are properly homologated. They got in there, they got their product to marketplace first. But it seems that unlike the situation that has happened with LMP2, it's going to be pretty much first come, first serve for the rest of them. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, you know what we've what we've got now is uh, Ginetta clearly up into double figures. We've got the uh, Ligier with uh, something like what five sales or so so far of their car. Ades with we believe three, the first couple of which are confirmed for uh, Asia. Uh, we've got uh, Tony Ave and uh, Bill Riley's new car um, promising to actually hit the track before the end of this season. And in fact, you're absolutely right, John, that they're, they're basically now saying. Um, you know, you come forward with the first or the next credible um, program and you've got the fifth opportunity to actually market. Um, I, I'm, I don't know. I entirely unconvinced by this new direction. I have to tell you entirely and completely unconvinced. Well, I don't understand. And, and Marshall, feel free to chime in. And, and I don't want to sound um, derogatory or little black rain cloud and always be the negative force here not at all but i'm yet to be convinced by anything that i've heard that market forces shouldn't be allowed to to take their force and whilst i am not sold still by four lmp two manufacturers um at least there's been due warning given for that LMP3 has been touted has it not as an open chassis manufacturer and then all of a sudden that has been closed down at five and that clearly Marshall is going to put the spanner in the works or you know a, a stick in the wheel of some people's plans to design build and and market a car because frankly now what it's become it would seem is a race for the fifth manufacturer to get a car out and that's that's not the right way to do anything it makes me uh it takes me back to a dinner the three of us sat in on at le mans with the uh the folks who make these decisions and it makes me it makes me wonder if they have a time machine have gone forward a few years have heard from P3 team owners saying the costs are far too high uh, to run these cars and that they must cut back and go to a limited number of manufacturers. Essentially the same thing that has been cited for the uh, fundamental change in approach to P2. Costs are too high. This is WEC-minded. Costs are too high to run, and the only way to bring these numbers down is to go through everything that they've set in motion for 2017. It, It just sounds like they are doing that in a preventative manner for P3 before this thing has really taken off. So I'm with you, Heindy. Um, I, I just, guys, not... I, just don't, I just don't get it. I mean, you've got, we've got Janetta. They bid early, or they, they revealed early. In fact, revealed exclusively on this show, didn't they, John? They did, yeah. Uh, that they're going to do it. They've now sold, you know, into double figures for cars. 
Um, and, you know, with more, I gather to come. Not all, by the way, of which are going to ACO Rules Racing. No, no. Um, I don't see the problem. The difference with an LMP3 car is it's not restricted to ACO Rules Racing. I just don't get why this is... Well, here's something I'm going to throw in, right? A manufacturer who could quite easily adapt one of its current products to a P3-style car would be somebody like Radical, who already build cars for other series and for track days. Uh, could be somebody like Wolf. Um, or could be somebody like Tiger, who have already got CN-type cars and could move up into it and not have to throw a heck of a lot of money into development it would effectively be an additional product for them now what we're seeing is if you don't get it out quickly and get it homologated it's a race to be homologated now for the fifth manufacturer then unfortunately you're out and the other thing is and and we'll talk about this more the ramifications of this obviously the LMP2 uh, announcements come out today we're still digesting that and we'll talk about that this in a special next week when we've got some bits and pieces together I know that Marshall is getting his ducks in a row and we'll be speaking uh, and he'll have something out shortly with uh, Gerard Naveau. Uh, uh, Listen, there's no chance, is there, uh, Marshall, for anyone who's disappointed to have not got the LMP2 uh, chassis to be able to move there and go, okay, well, let's throw ourselves in. Oh, hang on a second. We've got to be the next one homologated. It's a race to be homologated. uh, That just doesn't seem right to me. Interesting to see, I think, as we've all uh, agreed, a uh, situation where um, the ACO does, the ACO now, I guess, slash FI don't make many, they don't make a lot of missteps. It's just interesting for me, at least, to see two in a row, uh, P2 and now P3, where uh, it's definitely a head scratcher. Can you guys hold on just one second? I have someone knocking on the front door like the world. <laughs> just hold on just a second. Got a <laughs> Come on down. We should I, have had I don't. I, I, I'll, I'll dive in here. and I just don't understand. Again, John, it's another one where this is not a question that anybody's asking. It's not a question that anybody's asking. Um, you know, I don't hear any complaints whatsoever from the people currently involved in the marketplace. None whatsoever coming from Janetta. Um, I'm not aware there's any problems uh, emerging from Onroke and uh, not a, aware of anything being touted by Arve, Riley, or Adest either. So what's the issue we're trying to tackle here? It certainly isn't anything to do with the current marketplace because that's only heading in one direction, and that's heading up. I mean, in the last few days, what have we got? We've already got um, a LMP3 car competing in V2V, and there's certainly a market there, and that's a market that could healthily support potentially double figures. We've got cars... um, likely to be doing races like Thunder Hill. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe that's where the the car, the Ginetta that's actually been sold into the US is going to be heading. This uh, story we've you know got this week uh, as well, that French GTs could be uh, adding LMP3. So we could actually have won the very first, uh, you know, uh, GT3 type national series, adding in an LMP3 class. You know, well, there's it's got the possibility prob- here, guys. Surely, LMP3 has got the possibility to do for LMP3 racing what GT3 has done for GT racing. 
Now, people will continue to point the finger at me and say, I don't like GT3 racing. That's not true at all. I have my issues with GT racing in terms of its a balance of performance formula and not a technical rulebook formula. And I, I have my supporters on that and people who don't agree with me in that um but if you're a real racer you want to be able to do something and develop the car you can't with a gt3 it's basically run it as it comes that makes it a particular level of racing which is fine but it's not top class racing lmp3 is something similar to that gives you the opportunity to have a car that looks great sounds great is quick is relatively relatively there's nothing cheap in motorsport but it's relatively cost effective to buy and run it can be run in a variety of events both fia aco possibly even imsa sanctioned around the world and other things as well the sky's the limit for this series if that if that brings a continuity to that part that's that such important stepping stone into LMP3, LMP racing rather, uh, for teams and for drivers and for sponsors as GT3 has done for GT racing then surely, Graham, the more the merrier. Yeah, I, I, I just feel again we've not just not got clarity on reasoning behind this and, and that's a, it's a, look, there could be the world's best reason behind why this decision has been taken. Um, it's not like, frankly, all three of us gentlemen haven't had the opportunity to talk to some of the powers that be pretty recently, but this has never come up in conversation, ever, no. as uh, being an issue. No, and, and it's, been, it's, it's almost been pulled out of the air grip. Sorry to interrupt you, I want to bring MP in on this. It would be like seeing the GT3 um, that only Porsche... Mercedes-Benz and Audi are allowed to play in GT3. Only three manufacturers. That's it. No more. If you're not one of those three, then go off and do something else. And that would be ridiculous. And yet, that's what we're looking at here. The other thing that uh, I struggle with here, Heidi, and this is taking maybe an even longer look, we have P2 2017, which the ACO slash FIA and IMSA have all agreed on the four chassis maximum, four yeah. chassis suppliers. Uh, we have, so if you are a, an interested P2 chassis manufacturer, uh, you have quite some time to wait before that opens up for possible change. Uh, we, but what we do have, like the uh, Genetas, like the this, like the that, we do have man new manufacturers that come along, and I'm not saying that, again, Jeanette isn't necessarily a new one, but you do have some that aren't maybe traditional long-term decades-old manufacturers. We do have a case where new entities come along and say, hi, we want to join the prototype game. Uh, to me, that's what I've looked at uh, P3 as, the perfect feeder category for interested manufacturers. So I would say the part that really is, is a big disconnect for me is you know, it reminds me of the old IMSA's old Camel Lights series, where everything from kudzus to fab cars competed right. far from grand international marks, but they had a chance. And the kudzu uh, became the chassis to have compared to a Spice or some other better known. I just look at this and say, hey guys, uh, are you 
cutting out the future for some of these potential manufacturers to grow. We know it couldn't happen in P2 because of this fork chassis rule. Now you've implemented one for P3. Uh, are you really looking to the future of, of prototype racing and thinking about the natural evolution of those who come in and those who go out? Uh, and Graham, the problem with this as I see it is currently there isn't there's, there's a lot of sub LMP2 style of racing i've mentioned some of them you know there's various radical classes there's various uh, cn style classes clubman's classes if you like the issue has always been trying to pull them together and focus them towards an lmp2 style racing car an elms uh, an imsa regional series never mind getting them to go forward into a world championship there's never been that focus that funneling effect lmp3 seems to me to be the perfect tool to do that but only if you leave it so that people can do that effectively what you're doing here is taking away that first step aren't you you, you are. You're, you're removing the entry point, and I don't understand the logic behind that. And I think that's, you know, if you're detecting a, a note of irritation in my voice, you'd be right. Um, but the main reason I'm irritated, to be, to be honest with you, John, is I don't understand it because no one's explained it. And that's not really correct. Um, you know, this is, this is an area where we know people are looking at the future of the sport from on an industrial level. We've also got to the point where, uh, let's face it, a lot of people will be leaving the LMP2 marketplace as a result of the current policy, policy decisions being taken uh, for 2017. What the, this one that's come completely out of left field does is it, it creates the wrong sort of competition um, for what would appear to be a competition for a license to make P3 cars as well. Right. You could be cutting out the good guys here for someone who could just get a project together. That's it's wrong. In a it's short wrong. amount of time, yes. I, I can understand, and Tim Gray makes a very good point here, uh, and he's so st- staying out of it, but he's just put on the screen in front of me, and, and this is from Tim, and I think this is a very, very valid point. If you have lots of different manufacturers, there's more dis- likely to be more disparity in performance. Somebody's going to build a better mousetrap, and particularly when you've got a spec gearbox and driveline we know what that is it's nissan uh, and the gearbox we know as well um each yeah each manufacturer each chassis manufacturer then will have to look at waivers potentially to give them advantage or negate the advantage that a rival has worse still it costs whoever's running the series money to do performance balancing so Putting all that together, surely by limiting the variety of machinery, it keeps the cost of balancing that variety of machinery down. Now that's a valid point, gentlemen. But what we—it's see- a valid point. But here's 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 a here's a blinding flash of inspiration. Let's not performance balance them. They've got a spec um, drivetrain. You've just got to build a better train set. You know, this is a prototype racing car. You know, let's why vanilla? Well, let what, me let why? me let me put in another uh, uh, roll in another hand grenade. I completely accept what Tim says there, and I think it's a brilliant point. Agree. If, yeah. th- if that's true, when you announced LMP3, why not make it a spec series like PC was? And then there's no performance balancing at all. 
So I feel bad, Heidi. It, it feel I, I hate to say this, but I don't know if there's some form of reverse osmosis going on or what. But uh, it ju- I feel bad because uh, part of me wonders if uh, North America's embrace of spec racing, uh, which seems to have uh, littered the rest of the world, it, uh, I wonder if uh, I can point to my countrymen for uh, seemingly infe- infecting the French. <laughs> uh, very possibly mine, but no, I mean uh, I'm kidding. So what you saying now way. is the Australians are in the process of actually ruining one of my favorite events and the americans <laughs> yes. it's i mean i mean i'm keen to hear what marshall's going to hear uh, going to say about this one i mean my my view pretty clearly here is if there's a question that's being asked here i'm darned if i can understand what it is and uh, but, graham but, i think it's beyond that i'll be yeah. honest i think it's beyond that i think tim's that point that tim's made is a perfectly valid one and had that been made when lmp3 was originally uh, proposed then I think we would have had less, everyone would have had less problem with it. I think, Marshall, the issue, Graham has a fundamental issue against um, limiting the number of chassis manufacturers, as do I, in what something that is called a prototype category. Um, and it would take a very, very long discussion for, for either of us, I think, to change our minds on it. I'm not, I'm not minded um, to, I haven't, should I say, heard an argument that, that supports that at the moment. However, beyond that is the fact that this arbitrary five chassis number has popped up out of nowhere in the middle of a period, Marshall, where people are developing cars, potentially developing cars, or people who weren't in those four uh, LMP2 manufacturers um, could potentially be adding something to the game. And I think that is even more stunningly odd from my perspective, that it's been added at this stage. Yeah, and uh, I think... (laughs) The other thing that comes to mind is, and again, it sounds like unless there's some massive change or pushback to alter this, uh, the other thing that comes to mind is each regime, whether it's the person in charge of the Daytona 500 or Le Mans or IndyCar, you know, every uh, every change, every time you have uh, new people in charge, there are th- actions that they make, things that they do that uh, leave a legacy, that tell you uh, where their mindset is. And it's not as if Pierre Fion started yesterday, so don't get me wrong. It's not as if uh, the relationship with the FIA just started yesterday. But I look at this decision and... Uh, you know, quickly ask myself, how will they be remembered? Because it seems like among the many incredibly positive things that have happened over the past few years at Lamar and in the WEC, within the past six months, guys, again, could be wrong, but it feels like they are just paralyzed uh, with fear over cost containment. And when I look at P3, this, the five chassis cap, I'm sorry, five manufacturer cap. Uh, it just reeks of an overreaction. Hey, th- it, this might happen in the future, uh, like it's happened in P2. So let's act now. And again, I totally get trying to be the the steward and shepherd and taking care of uh, any series for the future. But uh, this, to me, we're we're really starting to mess with legacies uh, if this kind of mindset continues. Because in theory, we could apply it to every class. Yeah, and that is a real worry. Uh, final word on this from uh, from Tim Greer, who's up in London. Tim, what do you have? Now, I don't like conspiracy theories. But. Uh, but. <laughs> so you say... You're the voice of reason in this, so... You say... Why not launch as a spec series? 
yep. um, and why now go to a uh, maximum number of manufacturers. So how about this? They never thought that it would be necessary, but we've done half a season where there's been one chassis that's been ready. Um, so maybe we have another chassis manufacturer looking at what's happened so far this season, thinking our computer models of what our car can do are not coming anywhere close to the performance of the actual Janetta that's been that's racing. already out there. Yeah. Therefore, we need something done or we're not going to bother coming along to race. That is very Machiavellian. And on that note, we will move on with Marshall Pruitt and Graham Goodwin. Graham's going to stay with us for a little while. Marshall's got to uh, disappear, so I want to pick up a couple of other points. We'll, we'll pick up on LMP2 and, and LMP3 and some of the other stuff we've talked about in coming weeks because I've got a feeling there's going to be more to come. Um, very quickly, before we do IMSA back in Canada at the weekend, Marshall, a um, couple of uh, bits and pieces uh, from the weekend of racing and notably uh, Austin Dillon at uh, Daytona at the weekend racing into the early hours of the morning no it wasn't an endurance race it was the latest round of the sprint cup and depending on who you listen to I mean restricted racing love it or hate it it's a spectacle much like the pack racing we saw at Fontana a couple of weekends ago in IndyCar Uh, the car ends up in the crash barrier in the wall in the catch fencing takes down a huge amount of catch fencing did the catch fencing do its job or did it fail there were some injuries in the spectators but the car stayed within the bounds of the track not the first time we've seen a three and a half thousand pound sprint cup car in the air this is what happens at 200 miles an hour plus but another car airborne in a very different series from IndyCar and a a series that uh, could have seen a very different outcome uh, to what we saw at the weekend. How's it playing in the States? It's been interesting, Heidi, as as I wrote uh, for roadandtrack.com. We have a situation where most people went to sleep Sunday night uh, without watching the race, woke up Monday morning and saw the images, saw the crash, and were mortified. Uh, I happened to be uh, going to sleep just uh, just as the race was finishing and managed mm. to watch it. And my wife, who was uh, you know getting ready for bed, uh, happened to step out of uh, the bathroom and see what happened. And she was just genuinely alarmed. I think the force of Dylan's crash, you know, going 200-0 and you know, point something, however fast it was, but just an immediate deceleration from, you know, call it 200 miles an hour. Uh, then the damage done to the fence, obviously you knew having, having seen the damage to the fence that there were fans, someone in, someone in the stands was going to get hurt. Everybody, uh, four of the five were, uh, treated or, or looked at and then went home immediately. One went to the hospital briefly and went home. So everyone went home. Okay. Uh, Dylan has bruises and such of his tailbone and whatnot, which is remarkable. Uh, so few, or so, so little damage done to him, you know. For me, at least, my takeaway is probably different than most. But after the big uh, nationwide crash two years ago, where you know Kyle Larson's engine ended up on the other side of the fence, and you know the better part of 30 people were treated uh, by the medical staff, I've just maybe taken a different uh, outlook. If that stretch of seating at Daytona the bottom rows in or around start finish uh, that's just become an accepted known danger zone 
you kind if there's going to be a big crash, it's going to be there. Um, and there's going to be most likely something getting up into the stands or there's at least you if you sit in one of those seats, you have seen enough crashes and cars getting up into the fence to know that it's very possible. Uh, Daytona seems to build stronger fences after each crash and the cars seem to protect their drivers. So to me, if you're going to pay for a seat and sit there, you know what you're getting into. So I'm beyond, we need to, you know, any change the formula, fix this, change that, alter anything. There's buy-in from both sides. It's Mm. completely crazy to me, but, uh, Look, if if uh, you want to do something far more dangerous than running with the bulls, uh, you know where where to fly <laughs> and what's what seating section to uh, buy into uh, at Daytona twice a year. Uh, quick note from you: It's IMSA again at the weekend up at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. My first time there for a couple of years. Can't wait to get back there, and uh, it's an event. It's an event, first of all. It'll be packed. I know that the fans will be turning out. IMSA Radio covering uh, the weekend. Uh, anything to report? We know that Kuno uh, Whitmer is going to be in the CTSC Aston Martin with Christina Nielsen for the rest of the season. James Davison not coming back to that. Um, what else can you tell us uh, about what we might see this weekend, MP? Well, well, we should see the first opportunity, I shouldn't say first opportunity, the best opportunity of the year for a P2 car to, uh, if not come away with a win, uh, be in with a, a shout, hopefully with uh, the, the Shank team. And who knows what we're going to see from Mazda in terms of gas-powered or diesel-powered, but <laughs> we should see P2s feature more. Uh, uh, so it that could be, be something completely different from Mazda. They've been exploring so many different options. Um, expect something with a flux capacitor at the weekend. You never know from those guys yep turbo quad rotor you never know uh <laughs> so i think in the uh the top class we should definitely see a better fight uh, throughout the race between both types of prototypes we obviously won't have gtd there but honestly what excites me the most is looking at how close the points battle happens to be right now uh this is you know really in in some classes uh if they aren't tied it's within one or two points here or there so i'm looking at things from a championship standpoint going into the uh, track formerly known as most sport uh, obviously it's an individual round people want to win that individual round but with the points as close as they are we're in an interesting position where i think fewer teams would be likely to take risky yeah. uh pit strategies or send their drivers out with complete abandon and you know just uh, coming playing from very very far behind in the points so uh, i think we might see a more tame event than we normally would simply due to the uh, close championship points structure yes and sorry i uh, managed to put the 007 uh, trj aston martin into uh, the wrong category and the wrong race at the weekend no we won't be seeing them but uh, uh, congratulations to kuno for getting the uh, the drive for the rest of the season uh, mp i know you've got a runoff and chase up with the stories uh, watch out on racer.com for more brilliant stuff from mp and thanks for your time this evening mate cheers i'll see you at the weekend no, unfortunately, I'm going to be sidelined until uh, mid-August, so uh, people will get to hear my voice each week, but they won't get to see my face at the races. All right, mate, keep that rehabilitation going. We'll see you soon, fella. Cheers. Thanks, brother. Uh, Marshall Pruitt joining us live from uh, the left-hand coast, uh, the... Uh, of the United States and uh, read all about it on Racer 
Com. Right, few minutes left. Graham Goodwin has been remarkably uh, with us for the whole show tonight and such a wide gamut of things to talk about. Um, I've got something I would like to talk about, Tim, but is there anything you would like to bring up before we launch into the last few minutes of the show? You go first. Uh, Garage 56, uh, we have got a few more details about what's going on. And you unleashed your new French correspondent, uh, Matt Fernandez, to find out uh, a little more about Frédéric Saucer and the team SRT 41. This is Garage 56 for 2016, Graham. This is a this is a very interesting story. Yeah, well, Matt's uh, been a little star, a little étoile. He has indeed, and he caught up with Frédéric Saucer and was was very impressed indeed with uh, the kind of drive and the outlook from Frédéric Saucer. He's been obviously uh, campaigning a CN Clash Ligier, but. Uh, um, some pictures of the, the kit and caboodle that's required for this is a quad amputee, let's not forget, who will be joining the grid of the Le Mans 24 hours next year if plans come to fruition. It will be in a uh, Morgan, on route Morgan chassis. In fact, it will be the car that won LMP2, the chassis that won LMP2 uh, just two years ago in 2013, 35 car uh, that won LMP2. Uh, no, cl- um, very interestingly and crucially it will be the chassis but it won't be the engine it won't because the engine um is uh, we are told it will be an audi engine that was something that uh, dr Ulrich um confirmed very early on in this will be a version of the v8 engine from the audi r8 road car now, that's not wow. an engine we've seen in uh, certainly prototype competition thus far, but that is the engine we are told is going to be propelling this car. But uh, more spectacularly still, and uh, take a look at uh, this uh, links to the article that uh, Matt put forward on the uh, Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective page, is you know just how Frederick actually manages to steer this car. It's done with with basically well one stump, one hand. Um, yeah, we should it, we should say that this uh, his. Uh, his issues uh, started with a bacterial, bacterial infection, infection yeah. that led to the amputation of his hands, forearms, on both mm-hmm. arms, and his, both his legs below, below the knees. Correct. Um, this was in 2012, just after Le Mans, and uh, it, it, it happened very, very quickly. Uh, and he's been working um, to build up his stamina and as you say, racing a CN car, but it, quite remarkable, quite staggering, remarkable. staggering man. I mean, absolutely astonishing spirits. And he'd be driving uh, with who? Uh, with Christophe Tonso is the uh, the confirmed uh, co-driver for Frederick Sosay. So clearly they're going to have to come up with a solution that suits some more able-bodied driver as well. We haven't seen that yet, but um, the you know it includes I mean all sorts of kind of issues that need to be dealt with here, oh, including including how does he get out of the car in an emergency? Yeah. And in effect, and I'm not joking here, it in effect is a low powered ejection ejector seat. seat. Yeah, I've read that. Something that we have to follow. Tim, uh, running out of time quickly. What what finally from you? Uh, we mentioned as part of our brand new quiz earlier uh, that. Uh, who came second in JWRC and uh, uh, WRC3 uh, but the overall winner in Poland was uh, Poland <laughs> Sebastian Ogier is that, is, that, is, that, is that one of the uh, Teletubbies yeah um, Poland yes yeah, uh, la, la, land. ahead of uh, Andreas Mikkelsen um, so 1-2 for VW 
answers on a postcard as to who inhabits La La Land this week. Uh, I'm not going there. And uh, after its uh, mid-season break, mm-hmm. uh, which seems to have gone on since March, uh, the World Touring Car Championship is back. <laughs> Uh, for its final round in Europe, uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> on the streets of Portugal. You won't get uh, any argument from Tim on that. Ivan Muller says uh, it's a very fast circuit with an average speed of in excess of 150 kilometres an hour. I'm worried it will not be conducive for overtaking. Uh, the words of Ivan Muller the there. Again. The Just words of Ivan Muller, because that's ever stopped him driving into his teammates before to uh, get by. So uh, he's got four wins so far this season. Uh, Jose Maria Lopez has five. Sebastian Loeb has three. And others, two. Others, yes, absolutely right. Graham, thanks for a uh, sterling endurance double stint tonight, mate. Very good. Absolutely right. Need, uh, need a new set of Michelins now, though. Uh, they'll, they'll go on for another two shows. Um, my final uh, act is to say thank you very much to the Midway Motorsport guys, uh, to Jack and to Kerry at the weekend for letting me come out and play with the 216 GTI, uh, and to everyone who donated to the Sick Children's Trust. Uh, have a look back. It's still a very worthy cause. 30 quid will get a family a night in hotel, uh, 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 hospital accommodation next to their sick children uh, at various places around the country. It's worth throwing that in. We've got over 10 nights paid for already, well over 300 quid, and would like to see a few more. We're going to leave that open for a while, and I'm going to talk about it uh, for a wee while as well, because I'm very moved. And little Aoife, whose story we featured with David Williams, his daughter, his nine-month-old daughter now, uh, on that original story, uh, was there at the weekend, and if that wasn't enough to touch everybody's heart, then nothing is. Uh, My thanks to Tim Gray up in London, to Marshall Pruitt and Nick Damon especially to Graham Goodwin of dailysportscar.com uh, also the responsible adult of course will be live this weekend from Canadian Tires Motorsport Park uh, for the IMSA series and some of their support it's uh, IMSA Radio live uh, this weekend but that's it for Midweek Motorsport Series 10 Episode 27 there's no time to explain the llama is going home This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.